usually about every Friday, uh, I'll call my wife and I'll say, hey, what's the weekend look like? And we try to get the rundown of where we're going to be, uh, where our circus is going to travel, uh, what places we're going to go. And last weekend, uh, on Friday, we made plans. Uh, We knew we had a lot of travel baseball coming up. And I thought, you know what, I like our shot. We're playing in Mount Juliet. We've got a good little team. So I started texting my friends at Mount Juliet. And my friends that go to church there at the Mount Juliet Church of Christ, if you've been to Mount Juliet before, it's a, it's a big, neat church. And I, I said, you know what? We're going to uh, be there this Sunday. I started telling my buddies, we'll see you. I don't know which service we'll be at. I don't know what time we'll be there, but, but we'll see you. And I started to let them know we were coming. And then I realized we were playing an 8 a.m. game. And that we were playing with nine-year-olds and that I was one of the coaches. And as all of these factors came together, I began to realize we're going to be done fast and we're going to be done quick. And so I started to let my buddies know that it didn't look good. We might not be here. And so I asked my wife, I said, well, we lost today. We're about to jump on I-65. And she kept saying, where do you want to go to church? I said, we can pick anywhere on I-65. And she said, yeah, wherever you want to go to church, just let me know. And I said, well, okay, I-65, Church of Christ, we've got a lot of options. There are a lot of places that we could stop on the way. For this story, let me tell you, we did not wind up in Columbia. So as I tell this story, it was not a local church. But we took our family uh, slash tornado uh, into this church building. And we walked in, and I had a nine-year-old in a dirty uniform with an L on his forehead. All right? As far as you know, when he loses, it's terrible. They're not at this service, so I can say it. And uh, everybody was dirty from the ballpark. We go into the main entrance, one of these churches that had like this shotgun main entrance. And we go in, and the greeter at the door was so spiritually inclined that they said, hey, come on in. It doesn't matter that you're dressed that way. And I, I kind of look at them and say, okay, well, thank you. And they say, it's, it's fine. You, you can come on in that way. And I thought, what if it was not fine? Like, would we be out here in, in the church, you know, listening to the service take place? And he said, no, no, it's, it's fine. Come on in. It's fine that you guys are dressed that way. And he kept saying it. He kept saying it over and over again to the point where it was awkward. And I was thinking, is there a tie in the car somewhere? We could put it on the uniform. Like, and he finally says, this is the kind of church, and this is his pitch as you walk in the door, where you can, you ready? Come as, and you can finish it, come as you are. And I thought, he is so proud of his statement here. And I believe that he meant it and he thought he was doing a good job. But here's where it gets great. As he says, it doesn't matter what you're wearing, come as you are. He's proud of this statement. And probably if we're, you know, totally ascribing feelings, thoughts, and emotions here, he's probably worked his whole life to get to that point. And he was able to tell me that. And he said, come on in, come as you are. But literally, right as he said that, right between me and him cuts this young parent with a child. And they heard him say, this is the kind of church where it's come as you are. And I'm not even lying, this parent did this. Are you ready? And kept walking. Now, I don't know if you are tuned in to what that means. But but what that literally means is, cool story. All right, really neat that you're telling the visitor that. But we choose to come here every week. And we're not picking up that product that you're putting down right now. But go ahead and tell them this is a come as you are church. I'm telling you this story today because, as Tucker talked about, our lesson today is one point. Forgive. 
And what we are supposed to be a people that believe in every time we come together is that we have forgiveness, that forgiveness is extended, and that's our product. But if you were to tell somebody the West Seventh Church of Christ is all about forgiveness, there's two types of people. The people that say amen and the people that say, no, no, that's not our product here. And it probably falls with where you are in your life. It probably falls with if you have come here and you have attended this church and people have met you where you are and you've gone through recovery of any sort and you have said, I am broken, I am a mess and you have hitched up to an elder who said, hey, we're all a little bit messed up. You've listened to a sermon and you heard that sermon about grace and you went, oh yeah, I need that, I want that. I can't be amazed by grace until I've been amazed by my sin and then I see it and go, wow. Or you're a person that says, Hey, at this place, I've approached somebody about a problem. They patted me on the back, told me they'd pray for me, and then walked the other direction. You see, you see this stuff happens all the time. And, and what I want as a parent, you know, as, as a father and a husband, I want to believe that I have a home that's all about forgiveness. Because guess what? I'm going to need it. And you like the way I said I'm going to? I need it every day. I want this to be a church if, I, if we choose to place membership and worship here and say we're under an eldership here where there's an eldership. Hear this part. That believes that this is a place of redemption. This is a place of forgiveness. This is a place where we exercise this every day and say, you know what? Come to this congregation here because you know what we do? We preach and teach Jesus. And teaching and preaching Jesus isn't just about an hour on a Sunday morning where we believe that Jesus wants us to get it right and have good service here. But that Jesus wants me to live a life of service everywhere that I go. We're going to be in one passage today. It's going to be in Matthew chapter 18. Because we can say that the forgiveness is important. We can say that it matters. And we can preach about it. We can talk about it. But practicing it is something completely different in everybody's life. And today, this message, I hope, is clear. Uh, we're not going to belabor this, but put it right in front of you and say, hey, we have to forgive. In Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, Jesus is in the middle of, of teaching, and Peter approaches him. And this translation that I put in here says this. He says, at that point that Peter got up the nerve to ask. And he says, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or a sister who hurts me? And he drops a good round Bible number on him. He says, seven. All right. Now, at our house every day, Malia deals with people that need forgiveness. And they will go to her and say, he or she did this to me. And he or she punched me, kicked me. Cole has now learned to get very specific when he tells on somebody because it's more believable. All right? And you can say, they did X, Y, and Z, and here's how they did it. And you know what? I'm not going to let it happen again. Have you been in this situation in your life? Not with toddlers, but with human beings your age, brothers and sisters who are supposed to be your people. And you say, every time I see them, I want to smack them. Every time I see him, I know how he or she talks about me. And you know what? I don't even want to be around him anymore. And he tries to ask this question here to Jesus and says, hey, what about seven? And here we want to say bless his heart because here what Peter is doing is he is thinking that extending forgiveness is all about the person who's offended me. And if you say, I don't feel that way. Have you ever used the phrase before? You owe me an apology. 
Man, I drop that line on people all the time. Yeah, I'll look at people and say, you say that you love me, but here's the deal. You can't even say you're sorry. You, you can't even look at me and apologize at all. It's not even in your vocabulary to say that you're sorry or to ask for forgiveness. And Jesus says, hold up, Peter. He says, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. And he doesn't even wait. Jesus goes right into story time and he says, the kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. And let's say you're Peter. And let's say you're Peter here and all of a sudden Jesus launches into this and you're thinking, what does this have to do with me? I am not a king. I do not have servants. And Jesus keeps going. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. Now, you, you may have said, I've heard sermons on this before. And actually, brother, it was this much or this much. Ralph Gilmore, who uh, was in my life a lot at Freed, would always say this. If you're grabbing the calculator right here, you have missed the point. And if you are looking to say, how much is it and what was the dollar amount and the figures? And some of you are saying, Taft, I'm a high C. That's how I'm wired here. All right. You've missed the point if that's what you're looking for. Because here's the deal. A lot. More than a servant could ever repay. But what he does is he begs and says, be patient with me. Give me, I like this translation where he says, give me more time and I will pay back everything that I owe. You ever heard somebody begging and bargaining? And it's cute. It's cute because you're looking at it going, there is no way that you're ever going to be able to do that. You are writing, we'll say it this way for church, you are writing a check that you cannot cash. All right? What you are doing is you are promising a bill of goods that you can't deliver on. And he says, be patient with me and I will pay you back. And as it got underway here and they're looking, he is begging for this. He's throwing himself on the ground. He is asking for patience. And what I want you to do this morning is pause for a second and ask yourself, if we want to be the church that, that is all about forgiveness, if we want to say that that's who we are and that's a hallmark of how we live, who right now in your daily life needs you to be patient with them? Who right now in your life, are you married to them? Are you working with them? Are you thinking to yourself, there is somebody that I work with who's like five seconds from just getting clocked. All right? And I don't mean clocked in and clocked out, but like debt. And, and they're about five seconds from that happening. And you know what? I just need to be more patient with them. I, I need to be somebody who says, you know what? There's more patience here. Or let's be super serious. What about that person in your family who keeps messing up? Honey, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. Honey, all I know to say is that I'm sorry. And she looks at you and says, I know that you're sorry, but this stuff keeps happening over and over and over again. Jesus doesn't say Taft to be a doormat, but you know what he says? You've got to forgive. And here he says, as he's going through this and he's begging for this, it says that he canceled the debt and he let him go, but that the servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. And if you like to underline your Bibles or highlight or whatever, right here, when the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. 
This might be a spot you've never looked at before, but, but I think it matters. If we talk about forgiveness, if we say that we're a forgiving family at our house, our kids could tell the truth. If you say that a coach is a coach, he is about grace and mercy and developing his players and saying, hey, what, you're going to mess up, but I'm going to be here for you. And somebody else has a story where they say that is not the case at all. What if the elders stood up in front of this church and they said, we are a church that loves. We are a church that cares about people. We are a church that is a forgiving church. But there are people in the community that have seen us be far from that. And every single thing I'm saying to you this morning is a what if. I'm not sitting here looking at your family and saying, oh, the car cows, I'm not looking up here and saying, oh, the Beasleys. I'm not looking in the back or looking in the mirror and talking about the heirs or talking about specific elders here. But I'm asking a question that I think that is real. And I'm asking a question that says this. If people look at this church because you've chosen to be here and we sing songs all morning long. Eric got with me last week and said, hey, we're working together this Sunday. Let's be intentional about our songs. If I were to ask you, hey, what songs did you sing this morning? Some of you are like, oh, don't, don't ask me that. They were probably about Jesus. I'm sure they were about like, you know, his blood and grace. And, and they, they were about redemption. And, and we've had songs this morning about being under the control of God and living in the grace of God. And that can't be stuff that we just sing for kicks. Because if I sing it with no meaning, the definition of in vain is without meaning. And I don't want to do anything here this morning that's without meaning. And so when I'm a church that says, we're a church that's forgiving, we're a church that is about love and that is about truth, guess what? There are going to be, like this says here, there are going to be fellow servants. Let's translate that to today. People on the street who hear the message that we talk about, but they see the message that we are about. And they look at us and they say, you know what, God, when I'm talking about those people, when I'm talking about that family, and I'm talking about that church... God, they they talk about forgiveness a lot. I don't see it a bunch in their life. Or maybe they say, you know what? That is the church that believes this and that understands it and that puts it together. When it says that they were outraged about this, they went to him and, and they said, you know, this isn't right. He brings them in and he says, all right, I had patience on you. You should have been moved with two words that I love. You should have been moved with pity now, I don't hear pity without thinking about Mr. T back in the day, right? I pity the fool. Uh, uh, if people tell me this and they say, come to a pity party, nobody wants to go to that. And if you're talking about dating somebody, girls, all right, you say, you know what, Dad, one of my favorite things about him is that I just take pity on him. And I think we should date, all right? Guys are going, cha-ching, yeah. And girls are going, that's not what I want. All right? We think of pity in a negative way all the time. But it says that, that he was moved with pity. It says that he had Mercy. It says that these are components, patience, pity, mercy. These are components that make, verse 35, a forgiving heart. But the last thing that I want to drop this morning is in verse 35 when it says this. It says, this is how, because he says here, you know what, you are not moved with these things. So guess what? Now you are the one that is going to be in trouble. Now these things are going to happen for you. You were let off the hook. You didn't exercise it. So now there's punishment, correct? But in verse 35, here's what he says. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your There is no other way to read verse 35 without looking at it. And some of you might not like this. That's a threat. 
This is a threat. This is what's going to happen to you. Y'all, I don't know how you were raised. That's a threat in my house. If you do not do this, you are going to receive this. That is a threat. All right, some of you are going, no, that's a promise. All right, but but, but there is a threat here. There is something that has said, this is going to happen to you if this does not happen. He says, forgive. And I don't know, if you're like me, I read this and go, God, I already got one enemy. And he's prowling. You said so. All right. All the time, this is hard and this is tough. And now I've got this threat from you. Why would God threaten me and say, this is what will happen unless you do this? There are two reasons. And the lesson is yours this morning. Two reasons are very simple. Number one, I am supposed to forgive from my heart because when I do not, God sees his children repeatedly hitting the self-destruct button. He sees me when I don't forgive somebody repeatedly pound on a button that just says self-destruct. And and all I'm doing is hurting myself and God says you're supposed to live, John 10, 10, an abundant life. And you can't live an abundant life when you're hitting the self-destruct button over and over again. If you don't believe me, you've never worked with kids. Because Youth ministry in Memphis for years, I would have kids come through and I would have kids that were, they weren't just a little mad. They were, they were super mad. They were angry. Newsflash, Tucker. They weren't mad at me. Bible teachers, they would, they would rough them up. I mean, they would say and do things where they think, this is church, and you're like super unholy, and, and you're doing things in class that they're, they're terrible. Right, they're, they're bad. And I would say, They're angry. But hey, you just come in with them for an hour a week. I promise they're not mad at you. And you can start poking around and ask the right questions. They were mad at their mom. They were mad at their dad. And there was something they couldn't let go of. There was something that they could not forgive. And there was something that they would not forgive. And until they they forgive, guess what? They're going to continue to be mad. But let's not just pick on kids. Premarital and marital counseling here. You can bring me and my wife right in and we would start talking to us and saying, okay, now when you fight, you scrap. And when you scrap, it's rough. And you will say and do things that were not in your marriage vows. And it gets a little ugly. And how can somebody so pretty be ugly? Oh, you know what I'm talking about now, right? And, and you're looking at it and going, how can that happen? You know why it happens? Because there is somebody else. A lot of times, the couple's not mad at each other. A lot of times, they're bumping into each other. Because in this path, they're mad at something that's happened in their life and they cannot forgive. And we self-destruct at work, at church, at home. God says, you have to forgive. I am not going to be the person this morning that says, church, what's the matter with you? Like, you have to forgive as together we stand and sing. It should be easy. Because you could come and tell me your situation and you could tell the situation about what's happened in your life and I could too. And by the end of it, man, we would have like, I don't know, the pitchforks, you know, go, go and get Shrek style. Everybody's mad and everybody's fired up because we're sitting here going, they did you wrong and that is bad. And I'm thankful that I don't have to say it because he did. He says, yes, it's bad. Yes, it's terrible. Reason number one that you have to forgive is because I don't want to see you hit that self-destruct button. But reason number two 
is when he said this, he knew that in just a short amount of time, my right and your right to say I'm not going to forgive was simply going to be forfeited at Calvary. No matter what you've done to me, no matter what has happened in my life, there is nobody that's going to ask me to die on a cross for them, and I'm not going to ask you to die on a cross for me and suffer a cruel death for me. And so here I am, audaciously saying, I'm not going to forgive so-and-so, and I'm not going to let it go. And he says, I'm sorry. You ready? It's simple. You have to. He says, forgive. He says, it makes every single person the best version of themselves. And every single person here today can think about a situation with yourself or somebody else where you say, what's the matter with you? Why are you angry all the time? And a lot of times my story goes like this. You don't know what my mom did. You don't know how this marriage was. You don't know how this life is. And the correct answer for me as a brother and sister is never to pretend that I know, but always to say, you're right, I do not. But guess what? I'm not the one that said, forgive all the time. I'm not the one that said, you must be patient, you must have mercy in your life, and you must be somebody that exercises pity with everybody else. But you know who is? You know who did? The one that brought me and you together. The one that's the whole reason we even know each other because we're brought together by the blood of his son. This is the God who put his son on the cross to die for me and you. Guess what? And he knew that we would spend our own money to watch and to look at sin that his son died for. He knew that we would be the ones in our lives that would say every now and then when things get tough, God, I'm going to make this bargain with you. And I'm, I'm going to deal with you. And if you get me out of this situation, if you will make this test say this, if you will make the results come back this way, God, I am yours forever. And then five minutes go by and I am no different than this man here in Matthew chapter 18 who sees a fellow servant and does not exercise forgiveness. This is my plea this morning, straight from Matthew 18. That in everything that we do, we will be people who say, I want to model forgiveness in every situation in my life. It will not be easy, but it will always be worth it because I believe that Jesus told me that I am to love others the way that I, you ready, love myself. And if I am going to do that, I'm going to say, I don't want to self-destruct. And I don't want to be somebody that stands in the way for somebody else or that says something else is in the way of my relationship with God. If you've never been to the West 7th Church of Christ, if this is your first time in this building and you've never heard a message here, we hope that it's clear. And the message is supposed to be that at the foot of the cross, there is forgiveness for everybody. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. And if I'm somebody that's been here over and over again and I am on repeat, coast, slide when it comes to church, the plea this morning for you is that you'll wake up. And it will say, these are songs that we sing, and this is a message that we bring every time that we come together because it simply matters. There are a lot of people that can get in my way when it comes to my relationship with God. 
There are people that will be here and I will say, I can't stand the sight of that person. I know how this person is. I know fill in the blank and all of these things and all of these situations that I can't control. I'll talk about all day long, honestly, because it's kind of fun sometimes to have a built-in excuse. But when I put my head on the pillow, it's pathetic because I'm the one standing in the way of my relationship with God. I am the one that can extend forgiveness. And not just because it's better for you, but because it's healthy for me. And that's the reason that we have a spot in our corporate worship together that we call an invitation. And it's a spot for you to say, I want to come to the foot of the cross and I want to put them on a baptism. I want to, ready, be forgiven. Or maybe I'm somebody today. The song that we're fixing to sing is about giving God control of our life. And to say, God, you are the one that can do it all. And if I am somebody this morning that says, you know what? I haven't acted like that person in a long time. I want to get my family right. I want to get my school right. I want to get my cubicle right. I want to get every place that I am planted right. It's got to start by getting my heart right. And that's the message here from Matthew 18. If we can help you in any way, we hope that you'll come as we sing together.